Welcome, everybody, to the AJ Osborne Show, where we focus on our core tenets, impact, freedom, and progress. Join me and others as we grow through education and discussion. Welcome, everybody, to the AJ Osborne Podcast. And I am super excited about today's podcast. I have two guests, and you guys probably know them from the Infinite Wealth Podcast, and we get to talk a lot about this concept. We're going to talk a lot about wealth today. So you know me. I'm not going to carry this on. Let's jump right into it. Anthony and Cameron, how are you guys doing? AJ, we are doing great, and we're honored to be on your podcast. Thanks for inviting us. I, I'm honored to be speaking with a fellow Idahoan. That's right, inside. man. Yeah. That's right. We got to stick together. There's, there are not tons of us out there. So. <laughs> there are very, very few, yeah. Very few. <laughs> and you guys are out of Vegas now, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when, how long ago did, now, how long ago did you move from Idaho to Vegas? Was that a while ago, or is this a recent move? Uh, great question. It's been about uh, 17, 18 years now. I moved out of Idaho, came down here originally. It was for school and then uh, transitioned, started my own business. And then uh, it was really that that got me into financial advising. So, yeah, we've been down here for a while. Okay, nice. Nice. I mean, you know, it's a lot warmer and a lot clearer skies than uh, winters are much better there than. (laughs) Man, I'll I'll tell you what I tell everybody. I went from uh, running from my car in the, my air care, my heated car to my heated house. And down here, I run from my air conditioned car to my air conditioned house. So (laughs) I I trade flip-flops any day for uh, parkas and uh, winter boots. (laughs) That's right. Awesome. And uh, are you originally from Vegas then? I'm actually born and raised. Hey, there's not a lot of those out there either. Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 there's not. I actually lived here my entire life, excluding uh, my time in the military. But wow. Came back to Vegas and I just love it here. Wait, what'd you do in the military? Well, technically I was infantry, okay, which is like a foot soldier. But realistically, <laughs> when I kind of got in there, I was like, man, this, this is hard. And in the infantry in the 90s, not too many people could could touch type or really knew about computers. So I eventually worked my way into the company clerk and kind of had more admin role at the end. But um, nice. That's my story. Nice. My brother's an officer in the military, in the Army. So he's in South Korea right now. Oh, you know, I was stationed in South Korea as well. Oh, right on. Yeah, he's he's actually loving it. He likes it a lot better than the last place he was at in uh, Virginia. So he's like, this this you know this is great. It's kind of a nice, I think, breakup for him. And and there there's a lot of other places you can go that are a lot worse. <laughs> so I think he's yeah, pretty exactly. happy. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Now let me. So let's get. How did you both get started? in this idea of, you know, more on this wealth management side and finances. Uh, I mean, you know, you're in the military, you come out, you're, you're going to college and that apparently that's how, how you got into what, what led you down this road? You know, it's interesting. I think, I think kind of with my upbringing, we were a lower middle-class raised by a single mom. She raised two kids and we never really had money. And I think that kind of really gave me an appreciation that that I wanted more when I had my family. And what's interesting, so we're talking about the military, at that point, and it, Wall Street had just come out, right? So yeah. like I was 
man, I want to be a stockbroker. But AJ, this might be surprise you, but the military doesn't have much need for stockbrokers. That's so weird. Right? You know, I... <laughs> so I was like, if I can't do something that's going to help my kind of career, again, I'm 18, so I might as well do something macho. Yeah. Right. So I saw Rambo. So Rambo and Wall Street, <laughs> yes. right, were my influences. Um, and then to be, I ended up getting a degree in accounting. I, again, very macho. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Macho. Yep. yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, I got my CPA, had my own CPA firm for a while. And interesting, I, I was about to become licensed to be a more typical financial planner, but then 2008 happened. And not, of course, I got punched in the gut, but also I saw the clients. I saw people that were sitting across my desk saying, hey, Anthony, I did everything right. I maxed out my IRA, my 401k. I paid off my house. I stayed out of debt. And now you're telling me I need to go back to work, but I'm 72 years old. Yeah. Right. Who's what am I going to do? And then I kind of realized I, I actually went home that night scared because I was on the same projection that my that my clients were. Yeah. And I kind of started looking back. There's literally a recession every decade. Mm-hmm. And I figured I needed to, I needed to do something different. So that, and I told the firm I was going to uh, work with, with the financial planning, like, I, I can't do this. I can't tell somebody you lost X amount of money to no fault of your own and just hang in there. I, 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 I didn't have the stomach. So that's when I kind of took the blinders off and started looking for alternative. That's where I got exposed to rich dad, poor dad, and the infinite banking concept when I read Becoming Your Own Banker. Mm-hmm. And then I started doing those myself because I didn't trust Wall Street. I really didn't know what to do. And so I went to my clients. There were Some of my clients did very well during that time. So I went yeah. to them, what are you reading? What's your thought process? And that's what kind of led me to start creating, instead of focusing on net worth like I was taught in school, I started focusing on passive income. And then my clients were like, well, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, here's what I'm doing. And I just kind of shared it. And it just kind of turned into, I had a CPA firm and a financial services firm. Oh, yeah. And I had a family over here. <laughs> yeah. And was, could not juggle all three. So yeah. I sold my firm probably about 10 years ago. Uh and then started just teaching infinite banking, well, creating my own passive income, but then also helping people um, create their own. You know, I, I was having a conversation, Anthony, with a, a guy yesterday. It was on, on on a podcast that I have that's just on self storage. That's that's what I do, right? And so, um, and it was interesting because on that podcast, um, we talked a lot about him like me and, and, and like you, how the financial, the great recession affected all of us and how it, it changed us. Um, I was a consultant and I worked with companies to run 
their health benefit programs. I was a, a broker, right? Um, so we mm-hmm. health brokerage and, and we worked with huge companies and small companies, every, everything in fortune 500 companies. I, I uh, were clients and thing in between. And during that time I started trying to invest in real estate. And, um, it was as we went through that period and I just watched all these people lose their homes, jobs, bankrupt and see the ones that had done it right. And I had friends that had, you know, like debt was bad and they didn't get into debt and then they still lost everything too. And (laughs) all of a sudden it was very confusing, right? All of a sudden it was like, what's going on here? It was, it was, and it was a time that I think led to way more questions than anything. And it, it let me on a journey of like, I got to understand everything there is to know about wealth because mm-hmm. I just lost people that I personally knew that I thought were some of the most successful people I'd ever met were gone in a day. Yeah. And it didn't make sense. It's like, how could this happen? You're worth tens of millions. What's going on here that none of us see and what happened? And it, it, it and as we talked, as I talked with him, we there's a common theme i think to all of it all of us became obsessed with cash flow um yeah. so the original yeah. name of this podcast was cash flow to freedom uh because Ooh, i, I, like I became so obsessed with it so i yeah. still have the the site things like that but um it, it really changed so many of us and i i don't know cameron were you in business during that time were uh yeah. or was that did you get into business after 08 no, th- thanks. Thanks for asking. And uh, uh, I was going to add on there, too, is that, uh, man, I grew up in a small town outside of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and there is not a lot of wealth that's up there. Uh, back when I was growing up right now, it's the demographics are changing a little bit. But when I was growing up, there wasn't really anybody with money. Right. That was yeah. up there. And the, the richest, the, the richest guy that I knew in town owned a physical therapy practice. And that was right. That was the vision that I saw. And I'm like, man, you know what? I want to be a physical therapist. And that's what I started out when I was in high school. That was my intention. I went to college and I was like, that's my intention. And then I moved down here to Las Vegas for the, for the intent of going to their uh, PT school here at UNLV. And when I moved down here, I actually started a business and it was down here in Vegas when I really started to kind of see things differently. I saw successful business men Right. And I'm like, dang, man, you know, I don't have to be PT. I don't have to be in this pigeonhole. And it was in that the first four years that I moved down here to Vegas, I started a company and that company I did really, really well is I was making a bunch of money. I mean, it was in 2004 to 2008 ish. And I mean, realistically, you could fall out of bed, make money at that time. But uh, I started making money. I started looking for places to put it. And the lesson that always stuck with me that you guys were just touching on a second ago was this is that. Uh, man, I, I love my parents, but I, you know, I would say that they're not financially well off. And, and that was the um, most of the advice that I always got was from them on what to do financially. And it was always in the back of my head is, you know, why am I taking advice from someone that is not where I want to be? Mm-hmm. Right. And yes. then you fast forward, right. As I had, I had a good business. I had uh, money coming in. I had money stacking up. I was looking for places to put it. And then I see the stock market tank. Yeah. And then I see real estate tank and I'm like, where in the heck am I supposed to go? All this traditional advice that I was given, 
right? It's is not, not playing out. It's all crumbling here in front of me. And same thing as you just touched on, it was really in that kind of scenario where I was like, man, I got to figure this thing out. I'm a small business owner. Nobody's going to figure it out for me. And that's what really set me off on this, on this uh, journey of kind of trying to figure out uh, financial um, independence, financial planning, whatever it is. Right. So yeah, that's what really drove me into this industry. You know, it's it, it, so many of us, I feel like that happened. I mean, you know, that was a time where, you know, I, it changed the way that we saw money, changed the way that we saw assets. It changed mm, yeah. all of that. Like, you know, I specifically remember such a fundamental shift in looking at the revenue and saying, okay, cash flow is important. Let's look at sources. Where's the revenue derived from? What is the legal um, nature, contractual nature of this revenue? And started to go, I don't own this. I'm this weird third party person. This revenue can leave me any day. And then I started to get like, like nervous about it. Like, you know, all the time, like I couldn't sleep. Yeah. Like it, it, it became this thing that I think kind of scarred a lot of us. Right. Where it was like, oh man, all these things that we thought were stable are not stable anymore, which yeah. it was, was a good thing. Cause it caused us to question and to look at, and it, you know, I see a lot of people in the last four years that have started getting in specifically to my industry, self-storage. And I see a lot of people that are raising stupid amounts of money. We're talking 120 million on one portfolio deal. And they've been in the industry for three or four years. Crazy. And their assumptions associated with it, you mm. can tell, are different. Mm. And you, you're like, you know, when you ask, why would you do that deal? Or how come you did it that way? And I, and I say, I would never do it that way. Or I would never have done the deal into this. And whenever I look back on what those differences were, a lot of it came back to that education through the financial crisis mm -hmm. and why it's like, Hey, listen, there's some things that you may not be looking at, or you're not stress testing it in a scenario that is very likely. And yeah. some people say, Oh, well, you're being over conservative. And I'm like, over conservative. I'm de I'm developing 650,000 net rentable square feet of real estate. I just purchased a half a million square feet, right? Portfolio of over 200 million of real estate. I'm like, I'm not conservative. I mm -hmm. own tech companies. I own <laughs> startups that I put millions of dollars into. I'm like, I don't think you would call me conservative, but I would hope that you would call me smart. <laughs> and so, you know, in a, like, because it being, and when I say smart, I mean, I don't know what I don't know. And I can recognize that and recognize that there's certain parameters that maybe we shouldn't be get got out of. But I just find that a correlating thing. So it's so interesting to talk with you guys when you talk about infinite wealth and you talk about this, this idea of wealth. And that, I think that word got used way more after 2008 than before. Yeah, AJ, what, I, what we always say that uh, people or the economy overreacts. Yes. Like right now there's all this money. People are just, they're not doing the, they're they're not doing the research and the proper yes. due diligence. They just have this money and they're, and they're throwing just it, passing it around. And then, so I think we're, I think that's where we're happening. Why a lot of assets are overpriced. I mean, we could get into the government printing the money, and one third of the money supply was just created the yep. last few years. But mind blowing, um, right? But what I also believe. People will over they overreact on good news, and they also overreact on bad news. 
100%. I, I talked about like people that don't understand, like, like you see all this money come in and they don't understand how it affects the economy, things like you were just talking about. And like I say, well, if you went through 2008, you can understand what it was like when the money left. And I viewed it as a suction. It just sucked everything out. And it like, it just started in America and it just sucked everything, wealth, income, jobs. And it, it, it pulled everyone down and everyone through it. And I go, this is the inverse of that. Everything is getting pushed up, 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 astronomically fast. And these are two key points, deflation and inflation. But like you said, when you get into these upper and bottom realms, they're outrageously exaggerated. Mm -hmm. And they're exaggerated because of human nature, right? Because of what we do and with the money and the fear of I'm going to lose it or the fear or I'm gonna, of I'm going to miss out. And yes. it causes us to do crazy things. Yeah, we're seeing it now. And I think, I mean, we are expecting when big booms come big bust. Yes. And so we're, we're expecting, again, people are going to overreact, mm -hmm. which is going to create opportunities. I mean, a great opportunity is self-storage because that, I mean, when people are transitioning their homes, they don't want to get rid of their, you know, sentimental things and their material things. So they put them in, in storage, right? Mm -hmm. But this is an opportunity to make sure we have access to capital, access yes. to liquidity, because there's going to be assets on sale. But that's where we got to not overreact, kind of like what you're doing, AJ. Now you're not buying because it's inflated. We also need to make sure that we're not buying because it's deflated. We just want to yeah. be able to look at the facts. The deal itself. Hundred percent. Yeah. That's what I say. I tell people I go, I buy in up markets, I buy in down markets, I buy in side sideways markets because the market doesn't make my decision. The mm -hmm. individual do, deal does and the revenue associated with it. It's a business, not an investment. And I talk to people a lot like I have a I, I, I don't I don't know. I, I want to get your guys' opinion on, on this because I feel like when we say investing, it does a lot of damage because retail investors view it as I buy a stock. If it goes up, I'm lucky. If it goes down, I'm unlucky. And then that this idea of investment then carries through to everything. It carries through to buying properties. It carries through to all of it. And it's more of a I buy if it goes up. It, I'm lucky if it goes down, I'm not lucky. And that's investing. And I'm like, that's not investing at all. Hey, AJ, I love what you're uh, referencing here. And man, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. And the fact that people uh, misconstrue or have a misunderstanding on what that actually means and what you're doing, it's not their fault. Yeah. I blame, I put the blame solely on the financial industry. And the reason why yes. is because the financial industry, this is one of my biggest gripes. Anthony has heard me say this before, but they use three different words interchangeably all the time. Number one, it's saving, it's investing, and it's speculating. And they will mix and match those every single time. And if you look those up, they have drastically different meanings, but people uh, mistake those, right? So for us, saving is, hey, listen, this is an action word. It's us actually putting money from one pocket to the next, from one account to the next. The investing piece, right? This is what you're doing. 
This is where you're taking something and you've done due diligence on it. You know more about this process or this investment than somebody else. And at the end of the day, you've got an equation that you work off of, right? It's, hey, if I can buy it at A, I put this much into it. B, I know there's a very, very high likelihood that I can sell it for C. And that is investing. And at the end of the day, it's very boring, right? Very boring. Everybody thinks investing is sexy and scary, but man, at the end of the day, it's all that is, is it's just that simple equation. And then I look at spreadsheets all day. Yeah. And the far side is speculating and speculating. This is what 99% of people are doing in their investment accounts and in their 401ks and their IRAs is Mm -hmm. they put money in there. They have no influence on that account. They have no control on that account. Yes. And that is just pure speculation in our opinion. Yes. And so when people are quote unquote being told that they're investing in their 401k, that's not the reality. And so they look at somebody like you and they say, well, this guy's investing. Well, you really are investing, but they, they have the, a misunderstanding on exactly what that is. I could not agree more. It, it, like the financial confusion within our nation shows up exactly with demographics. Yep. If you look at the wealthy, they are not at all confused by what these words mean. They nope. understand them intrinsically. It has meaning, actual meaning to them. And when you go down and keep going down, middle America is very confused on what they're doing. They're doing something. I'm putting money in 401ks. I'm putting money in my house. This is an asset. This is investing. But they're con- but it's not actually what they're either doing or it's just kind of jumbled up, right? And then you go down below that and there's no concept of any of those things or what they mean. It's purely luck and it's yeah. purely fixed, like it's set up. Absolutely. You look at speculation. That's my personal opinion is the stock market is rigged. But I mean, there's yeah. absolutely influence and control that's exercised 100%. over that. But when you look at what the wealthy people do as our three categories I just laid out, all they do is they save and they invest. And that investment piece is typically made up of two pieces. It's going to be real estate and a business. Yes. Right. And that's exactly what it is. And that's their wheelhouse. That's where they stay. They don't go out there and they don't speculate. I, I, I love that. Now, Anthony, I, I got to ask you, how did you move over? Because you have an interesting uh, background there when you're talking military speed everything. When you were trying to figure all of this out and you say, okay, this is great. I now realize, and both of you have mentioned, there's a problem. I'm not either seeing this right. I've been told wrong. This isn't working Everybody that I knew before, not all of these things that I was told turned out not to be true in 2008. Where'd you go from? Like, what was your next steps? How did you, how did you move from this? How did you figure this out? I would, t- you know what I, 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 I say the term that I, that I had my blinders on, right? Because what I was doing before, I was a retail investor. I had a typical financial planner, and every you know quarter he'd write on the board, oh this mutual fund did this return and this return. And then I would look at those and I would kind of like, you know, the average of that might be X, but my account didn't go up X. It, it didn't go up that far. I kind of realized something was wrong, but you know what? I, I was very passive. I just trusted them, yeah. you know, well, well respected. Um, but then what one triggering thing that happened to me, it really, it really happened to my kids. 
uh, in 2000, and when that crash happened, my sons, we were using a 529 plan, which is commonly used to pay for, uh, for college. He lost 60% of his 529 plan. And well, the, the whole market went down. I mean, so I, I didn't question that, but what I questioned is my, he's going to college in two years. My daughter, who's six years younger, she only lost 50%, right? But I, I, I told my financial, asked my financial planner, you know, I thought we were, the plan was it was going to be more conservative. Like the closer we went to college, it would be less in the, mar- in the stock market, more into bonds. Why did my son going to school in two years lose more than my daughter who's going to school in eight? Yeah. And he's like, oh, we didn't check that box. Mm-hmm. Whoops. And then I was like, that's when I realized, you know what? I've got to take an active role. Yeah. I, I, did, I did a disservice to my kids. And I don't know if my, my son going to college in two years, like he really didn't have the opportunity to wait it out. Yeah. And then seeing people, like I said earlier, literally, but everybody in the room, him, this client and I had tears in our eyes, just kind of seeing that devastation. I'm not looking at paper or spreadsheets. I'm looking at a real live man yeah. who is hurting. And I just realized I need to do something different. Yeah. And if I don't take it, if I don't do anything different, why would I expect a different result? Yeah. And I, you know, sometimes I look back, I'm, I'm more pretty conservative and you could call me a square. I mean, I was a CPA. I mean, just did, you know, like my W2, you know, liked having my health insurance. And sometimes I, I don't know how I made the transition to being more self-employed and having business, being a business owner. But I, I think it's just those experiences when we talk to other people and I just realized I need to take action. Yeah. If I want something different, I it's 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 up to me. And now I feel an even greater obligation to my kids because I feel like I I did make some good choices with the 529 plan. So I want to make sure that they're not making the same mistakes that that I'm making. It, it, it's part of the biggest lie I think that's ever been told is financial education means that you'd get trained to get a job. That's not financial education. That's working and making money. Yeah. And this idea that we don't need to be actively engaged. You're not supposed to be actively engaged. In fact, thinking about money for some reason is wrong or it's bad. It's the greatest lie ever told. Why, why do we not think about it, but then other people do? And the people that think about it, they make all the money. <laughs> like, you know, it doesn't make any sense at all. Like the, the, uh, the book where, what is it? The, where are the customer's yachts? I think that's it. Is, or have you read that book before? No. So no, but I, I, I can get an idea of the, yeah. of what it's talking about. Yeah. And it's very it's, interesting. It, it's very interesting. And it's based off a story of a guy that's giving a tour in New York and he says, you know, here's these are the big buildings. These are the big banks where they work and they invest people's money. And here are the bankers yachts here in the dock. And the kid said, oh, where are their customers yachts? Mm. Right. Well, they don't have yachts. 
So wait, the guy that's being paid to make them money has yachts, but those be, it's that idea, right? Yeah. And it's like, and the idea is though, that's not what their job is. Their job isn't to make you millions. That's, that's not it. No. It's like, no. well, maybe we can lose money and keep up with, or not lose money and keep up with inflation. Well, that doesn't take care of what most of us need. Most mm -hmm. Americans just saving some money, keeping up with inflation does not provide retirement. It does not provide financial security. It does not provide financial freedom. Yet they're being told to pay that person so he can have that <laughs> to protect your money. It, it's like, what? This is a key role and all of us have to be engaged in our financial well-being, just like any other well-being that we have. Family, I don't care if it's spiritual, physical, anything else, finance is part of it. Mm. Well, well said, man. We are preached, right? Growing up in <laughs> Idaho, is, right, is uh, you have this uh, self-reliance, self-sufficient yes. mentality, and you are preached, you know, that day one, and that's instilled into you. And then it comes to money, and it, the advice is give that to somebody else. Yeah. Right. Turn that over to Turn somebody else. Turn that over else. to somebody else. Exactly. You're not smart enough to handle that. Yeah. And that never sat well with me. I never me understood that. And uh, you know, it's just finding those opportunities, those strategies that put that control back in into your your lap into your hands is really what uh kind of turned the page for me so so I totally agree what do you tell people how do, how do they do that how do you turn this around how do you take control like what are you working with people what are your suggestions and what should people be doing well we hit on it just a minute ago right is number one is um, we've kind of got a hierarchy that we walk people through, yeah. right? And so tier one for us is all about fundamentals. It's all about foundations. And first off is you want to make sure that you get as, your money in the place that you've got the most control over those assets. And then the second place, once you kind of figure out that you've actually got control over those money, now what you want to do is you need to go put that somewhere. And the two best places that somebody can put money to work, in our opinion, is going to be investments back into themselves right? Personal mm -hmm. development, go develop a skill set that you can then turn into a business, mm -hmm. right? And then build that business out and scale it. And then number two is going to be real estate of some sort. And man, you know, it's not that we're reinventing the wheel. We just looked and see what wealthy people have done for hundreds of years. And again, like I mentioned earlier in this podcast is that's their wheelhouse. Yes. If you look at somebody that's created a whole bunch of wealth in a very short period of time, you know, one generation or a lifetime, Man, it's made up of real estate and or uh, a business. And so those have got to be the people's focus if you're going to achieve kind of what you want to achieve in a very short period of time. You know, I love that. And when I look back at when, you know, when I'm getting started, I'm I'm making a large income now because I'm selling benefits, right? And I was a commission-based salesman, everybody a part of our firm. I followed in my dad's footsteps. He started selling insurance. And I thought, oh, this is cool. You get to yeah. make as much money as you want, <laughs> right? That was my idea. You make as much money as you want. So then I started doing it too. And I did it with them and it was great. I was my own boss. I made my own money because the clients paid me, right? And then I start looking at how people got really wealthy because I got stuck. And I call it, I, I, I call it, I sat down with my dad. I'm like, I feel like I'm on a treadmill. I feel like we're on a treadmill. And I had to look at my dad saying, you got to retire. Okay. What are we going to do? Because the moment you stop working, your clients fire you, hmm. right? They're not going to pay you if you're not working. Yeah. And all of a sudden it became, oh, wow. I have a job just with lots of bosses. 
And I started looking at how people got wealthy and how they did it. And there was one thing that always stuck out to me. It was what you mentioned was control. They had control over their money in every aspect, which, which yeah. as I went down that role, it started to blow my mind. Um, and the other side was they were able to use that control to do something that was very critical. And that was compound. And I started looking at how measurable and accurate these people could be. It wasn't a guessing game. It wasn't luck. It was a formula. It was, we have control. We can figure out how to compound and it mm -hmm. will take X amount of time. When I, and I thought, holy cow, not only do I not have that, but I started to do basic math. With hmm. my income, I was losing whatever it was, 40 something percent of taxes, right? Mm -hmm. If I invested a dollar into the stock market, how much time did it take for me to get my actual dollar back? That means I had to make a 40 plus percent increase just to get back, not including inflation, not including opportunity costs and everything. I started looking, I'm like, holy cow, it's going to take me years just to get back to what I actually made, just to be whole mm. because I lost 40% of it. And then yeah. I put it into an investment and I'm like, yep. this is unattainable. This doesn't even work. I'm like, it, it, I lose 40% on every investment that I do day one. Every investment that I did, I lost 40% day one. And you start looking at the wealthy people. They don't do that. When they invest a dollar, it's a dollar. And they're compounding that dollar. So even if I could compound at the same rate of, uh, rate of return that they could, I would be light years behind because of my 40% initial loss. And this very simple formula and this very simple understanding, it blew me my mind away. And it was like, this is not sustainable what we're doing. No. And this will never get us to where I actually want to go and where I think that I'm going. And I sat down and me and him had a conversation in the living room. Like, we got to do something different. We got to have control. And it that was real estate. It was measurable. It was mm -hmm. tax benefits. Mm -hmm. And it was um, compoundable. We could keep repeating something at a known rate of return. It wasn't even, it, it wasn't that complicated. It was just finding a vehicle that it could achieve control and compound at a whole dollar. That's it. And you, you know, AJ, yeah. let me just add a little bit because we love real estate, but a couple additional attributes are it's that you can, that you can leverage against it. Yes. Right. I mean, which, which a lot, not skyrockets a lot. compounding. Right. And it's a real asset. Real. Right? Yeah. Because I even have as real control as, over it. Yeah. And what we like real assets, because as much as we crunch in numbers and educate, there's there's always a possibility things aren't going to go as planned. Yes. And when we have a paper asset, it's just going to be, it could be worth the paper it's on. But if you have that real asset, worst case scenario, there there's always going to be an underlying value. Yes. In there. hundred percent. And, you know, this is coming from a guy who I invest in businesses. I start businesses. I like businesses. But I don't view the businesses as my wealth vehicle. The way that I, I viewed it was simply, oh, man, this compounding thing is awesome. How do I get to a billion dollars? Well, I need to make I can I can do leverage. I can do this. I can raise capital. Right. And I can also inject more money into it. So why don't I start other businesses that could help me throw money into that? So then it just became a game on how how fa much faster and how much more I could compound. And businesses were an incredible vehicle for me to do that.
right? So there was things like roll-ups and all sorts of things that would help that. But the vehicle to actually create financial freedom, wealth, everything else, it was and always will be for us real estate. Totally agree. Couldn't agree more, right? Is uh, It's got to be in there somewhere, real estate and or business. Absolutely. So if you got a W-2 and you're looking here and you're saying, I need to gain control, right? So you talk about your, th- your three processes, which I love, right? You talk about foundational knowledge, um, and control, then you need to put your money to work yourself and real estate, which by the way, um, you will only achieve as high as financial, um, uh, attainability as you think you can, or that you know that you can, it's, it's self, it's self-made, right? So like, mm-hmm. if I want to make more money, I work on myself first. I just start reading everything I can, right? Like I, I, after 2008, I was terrified of losing money and I knew that was a me problem, not a market problem. So I just read everything, everything I could right? And that continued through there. And I love what you say about that. You got to work on yourself. It's because it's not luck, because we all three of us here say and believe it's not luck. It's measurable. It's a formula. Unless you know the formula and unless you know how to use it, you can't do it. So I love that you include that yourself. And then, you know, you talk about real estate, you talk about control. Um, What are some other things you should mention for people in this process that have to do with wealth and on their journey to create it. Things that you you need to obtain, you need to figure out. I mean, do you blanket say you should never give your money to other people? Not other people. I would say Wall Street. Okay. Right? I, I like mean, that. The, the, so, Distinguish yeah, so, the difference and why that's important. Yeah. Let, let me say this is that uh, there's a, there is a big difference between Wall Street versus, you know, quote unquote, someone else. Is there what I would what we tell clients is that there are people out there that have systems in place that are uh that are very good right they've gone out there they have a process they have that a plus b equals c process already figured out we don't need to necessarily go recreate that from scratch if we can go find the people that are doing that and are successful in that space all we need to do is partner with them right and there's a there's a big difference between partnering with somebody in that business venture that opportunity than there is as far as turning your money over to someone else Right. And that's what Wall Street is. Wall Street says, give me your money, come back in six months. I'll tell you how it's doing. And, you know, I'm smarter than you. You can't handle this. Right. Nope. Whereas a, a, a business venture that you're going into it with somebody else is partnering self-storage units and those things is, man, you know what? You're going into this. You've got to do your own due diligence way before you ever turn any money over to them. But and they've got a system in place. Make sure you understand that system. And I'm sure Anthony has something to add here. But what I was going to say is I'm going to harp on that mindset piece is we've got a lot of people that are W-2 employees that are trying to transition over to creating, you know, or finding financial freedom. And the first thing that is always the toughest for them is that mindset piece. And I touched on it before, as far as personal development, a lot of people kind of have a negative connotation with personal development. But if you look at it this way is, man, the reason that you're not achieving financial freedom is because you're not the person that you need to be to create that yet or to achieve that yet. So the question that per, that mindset of personal development piece is who do you have to become to get there, right? And that's where surrounding yourself with people that are successful that think or that are in the position that you want to be in is critical. And so that mindset piece is always the toughest for somebody that's transitioning from W-2 over to a business owner or investor. Yeah, I, I love that people have a negative connotation with personal development because those are also the people that pay $150,000 to go to college so they can yeah. personally <laughs> develop themselves. 
Yeah, yeah. And yet they're the ones that say, you know, it, like, it, I don't get that at all. Oh, I, I don't believe in like personal development books, things like that. But I'll pay $150,000 to go to college. I get a trainer at the gym, right? I get a therapist for my mind, on and yeah. on and on. But I don't believe in financial personal development. There's what? And, the, and, and yeah. I feel like it's something that was invented. Like it's like the system doesn't, I, I just don't understand why people that focus so highly on personal development think that there's a bad connotation with personal development. Do you think it's good to be overweight? Do you think it's good to be ignorant? Do you think it's good to be poor? But you're <laughs> right. There's this negative connotation when people think of self self-help or personal development. And you're like, that's pretty much everything we're supposed to be doing in all aspects. Now, you know, what I found is that the more educated people are, the harder it is for them to learn. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. If, if they go and spend $150,000 to go to these, uh, name brand schools, they're being taught to rely on, on the, the system. Yeah. Right. hundred percent. That system does a great job spitting out employees. Yes. That's what it's all about, the job. What sort of job are you going to do? And the problem is, to me, I think there's there's so many, like, in fact, a couple of years ago, my son wanted to get into business. He's like, no, I'm thinking about going to get an MBA. In my head, you know, like in the movies where they have like a clip that doesn't actually happen, right? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like slapping him, right? Yeah. What are you doing? Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you see the books behind me. You could pick pick three of those. You will learn more than what you're going to learn in college. And my son's not a reader. I mean, so I'm like, you know what? You can pay somebody to read it to you while you're driving. You get audible yeah. and you could expedite the speed and every time you're going to work or going somewhere you you, you start filling up your brain then that's going to help you get there right yeah the, the the people who actually went through and created success are writing those books most college professors i, I might even say 90 plus really have it very book smart but they're not street smart a hundred, a hundred percent. I, I say there's a, there's two different differences. You have static and dynamic knowledge. Static knowledge is something you learn in schools. It's not applicable. You're not using it outside in its desired really way. Like I look for applicable knowledge or I look for knowledge that I can turn into dynamic, actionable, functionable, working knowledge, because that is knowledge that continues forever. That's knowledge that it, like wealth, it will compound. And by doing, you get more of it. And then all of a sudden, people get in this huge gap where you're like, this so-and-so so knows so much more about the economy, investing, so much more about business. You know, where did he go to school? Right? He didn't learn any of that at school. <laughs> That's not how knowledge compounds, right? Knowledge compounds when it's in action, just like money. Money doesn't compound in a bank account sitting in your brain. It compounds when it's invested, when it's working. The same thing with knowledge. Get knowledge that you can use, not regurgitate. Because regurgitating oh. doesn't do anything. 
I, I, I love that, right? And uh, I've got a kind of a similar approach is that, uh, right, when somebody goes to school, they're given a lesson and then they get tested, mm-hmm. right? In real life, you get tested and you learn that lesson. Yes. Right? And what you realize is that real life is the great kind of teacher here. When you mm-hmm. study just to, for that test is you're going to forget that in a month. Yeah. Right? And, and if you li- fail, it, it's not fail in real life. That's not how it works. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. I... I I have um, I have issues with the school system, which is evident. My wife started uh, her own school, which is um, a mm. private school through awesome. all the way through high school. So K through through high um, has hundreds of students and with a focus on applicable knowledge um, and things, all, all these things that we're talking about, because we believe it's such a lack. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I, these things are are really important. And I think learning how to learn is much more important than what, right? And the school doesn't teach you how, the only way that school teaches you how to learn is not applicable in the real world. That's the problem. It's not what they teach you, it's how. And that method does you a major disservice when you get out of school, because then you try to apply knowledge in the real world like you would on a test. Yeah. And it doesn't work. Nobody cares. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, it just doesn't. It doesn't function. It doesn't work that way. So financial, I think knowledge is probably the biggest lacquer in all of these. And most people have yeah. no practice with it. They don't know what bills are when they come out. They don't know the basics. And so they can't even. And then the investing, what they do, and this, and this is going to round it right back out to your guys' entire point. And investing, what they do is they hand it to somebody else that is now learning on your dime and Mm. they are gaining knowledge (laughs) on your dime and you are not learning anything about it. You're not applying it. You're not gaining knowledge. They're compounding their knowledge, their wealth, why you hope they don't lose it. But even if they do, they gained the knowledge by losing your money that they can use to make more. (laughs) And that comes down to this control part and this idea that even if you lose money, you're going to gain something from it. Like, how do you guys view risk when it comes to people? And when people are starting out, what do you talk to them about risk? Because this is a very, this is, I think everybody listens to like, okay, that's fine, but you have money to lose, right? Well, but that's not how it started. That's not how it ever starts, right? It's every, I don't view losing money at all an option. So like when you guys are talking to people about risk that are hesitant to gaining more control and making a wrong decision, what, what do you tell them? How do they get over that? Well, where I typically will start is I'll ask them where their money's at now, right? And if they're happy with it, and then we talk about the risks that are associated with where they're currently at. And a lot of people have an underlying understanding that, yeah, you know what? I, I know that where my money is typically at is typically in qualified plans is that there is a very good likelihood that uh, the bottom could fall out at any minute. Yeah. So they know that they're already in a, a position of risk. And so what we position is we say, hey, listen, let's move you over into a a position of less risk with more certainty. And, you know, who really enjoys that conversation is the older clientele, to be totally honest with you. It's going to be somebody that's probably 45 to 60 something years old. Man, the the ones that have been through it, the ones that have gone through the Great Recession, the 2000s, right, that have just barely made it through in 2008 to 2012 in their business. Yep. And those are the ones that are just like, why did I not know about this sooner? 
And so the idea of risk is, man, we're taking that off the table almost completely and saying, hey, we're going to put this here. And now what we're talking about, again, is the investments that they're going to make are very calculated moving forward, right? It's A plus B equals C. C has a very high likelihood or an outcome. And so, you know, the, the idea of risk is, uh, is extremely minimized in our approach. Now, Cameron, did you just say, you mentioned older people <laughs> starting at age 45 okay <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'm 49 so i guess i'm part of the older people oh you're definitely old yeah <laughs> uh, that's i was i was gonna make a comment on that too but you know i i, I wanted to be sensitive to other people that may not be <laughs> Yeah, as I'm going to jump in here and just totally try to sidetrack that conversation. But <laughs> <laughs> when we talk about risk, that is, uh, I, I don't talk about it in terms of risk. I talk in terms of like professional money and play money. Yeah. Right. Is, you know, I've got very defined finan personal financial goals and all the money that I've got is is trying is getting me closer to achieving those goals. And I call that professional money. Anything that's not getting me closer to that goal or has some sort of speculation or risk involved with it, I think, you know, I, I classify that as play money. Right now, I don't have any play money. I don't want to risk anything. Yeah. And so that's typically the conversation they have with people. If somebody wants a brokerage account or something like that where they're messing around, that's fine. But you know what? We've got to, once we define and figure out somebody's goals is they realize that uh, they want everything kind of working towards those goals at the end of the day. Yeah. I, you know. Good thing. Yeah, that was the way to pull that off. Nice. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I view that a lot with when you're looking at um, I, I try to break down the risk in two sides. Like, do you think you have more risk when you have zero control or mm -hmm. you have more risk when you actually have control? And like uh, then the other side I view is within that control. They say, but I could lose it all. And I go, OK, now you're talking about the risk of ruin. This is a different subject than risk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you can manage the risk of ruin by simply either not putting all your eggs in one basket or whatever it may be, then, you know, how's that work? And they talk about, I have a, I, I, it drives me nuts because people talk about this thing where they, they go, yeah, but I'm diversified in the stock market. And mm -hmm. I go, hmm, that's mm -hmm. so interesting because, you know, when, Asset classes fall, they tend to fall together. So that may work in normal cyclical yearly cycles in the stock market. But when you're talking about the risk of ruin, which is substantially losing the majority of your portfolio, that's not mm -hmm. how asset classes work. A stock market crash means stocks. It doesn't mean this stock or that stock. It means all of them together. Yeah. And when a real estate crash happens, it means all of them together. So it comes to this idea that we use words in the mm -hmm. financial industry. It's okay. You're going to be safe in a diversified portfolio. Diversified though in what? The same asset class? It's just not yeah. logical. It doesn't make sense. But right well, back to the beginning, they're using these words that, and they just mix them all together. Yeah. And what I would add in there is that, right, is, is when you look at what people are investing is, a lot of the time stocks, there's only one way that you make money in there, right? It's appreciation. Yeah. Right. If this thing goes up in value, one of the reasons that we really like real estate, we talk about a lot is because there's four or five different ways that you can create wealth inside of real estate. 
you got appreciation, right? You got tax advantages, depreciation. You can offset some of the, the income in it. Uh, you've got cash flow that comes off of it, right? Yep. If if one of those things doesn't work, you know, maybe you get saved by three or four of the other ones. Yeah. Right. But on the other side is there's only one way that you're going to make money if that doesn't work out for you. Now you do have a consideration of complete ruin. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Um, well, guys, we could talk about this all day, but I yeah, want to yeah. kind of <laughs> stop on this on the risk of ruin because I, I think that's a really good point. And li- literally, if you're you're getting started or even if you're you're going focus on that. And if you like that's a major part of control. And I think a lot of people, if they can get over and focus on that vocabulary and get control over their capital. And I love too what you guys said just as, as a recap here. On when you say control, you're talking about making a choice. Who am I putting that money with? This is called direct investing, right? So when it's a diversified portfolio in the stock market, I don't know what CEO is making decision. I don't know who got that. I don't know what department where. But when I'm putting it with a apartment developer, I'm looking at all the micro economics of it. Oh, look here, there's demand. I'm an expert in this. Here's my track record. Here's the risks. Here's it. I can make an educated decision. It's not that complicated. But when I tried, anyone tried to analyze the stock market before? Hmm. Like, just make stuff up and you're going to do better. Like, that's a much easier analysis and way. And that is control. You're not doing it yourself. So if you say, listen, I'm a moron. I don't want control. No, it's control of the choice of who uses the money. Right. And that's a very important distinction. So, uh, guys, this was awesome. Thank you so much for coming on here. It was a great conversation. Uh, tell people where they can find both of you. Tell them what you know, what you do, what resources you put out there. Uh, tell people where to go. Yeah. Uh, you can find us at infinitewealthconsultants.com. That's our website. Um, but also, is uh, right, we're uh, specialists in the infinite banking concept. And so, we actually have an online course. And AJ, as a thank you to having us on, is we typically charge 500 bucks for somebody to have access in there outside of somebody that's not a client. But uh, what we're going to do is we're actually going to give your listeners uh, free access to our course. And so uh, we'll get you this link. But uh, if somebody's listening and wants to write it down, it's going to be infinitewealthcourse.com backslash AJ Osborne. And if you go to that link, it'll take you inside of our uh, online course. And what it'll be is it's not salesy by any means whatsoever. It's really just very educational, right? It's going to kind of lay out our philosophy on how we help clients. And you're going to see a lot of videos that talk about um, very practical stuff. And so uh, if they want to go and check that out, feel free. I hope that helps. Yeah, and AJ, you mentioned compounding all throughout the podcast. And that's kind of what we teach people is to have their money continuing to compound while they're using it. And to find out more, you can watch the videos in the course that explains how you can do that. Awesome. Hey, thanks guys. I appreciate it. All those links are below everybody. So check them out. And guys, thanks again for coming on. This was a fantastic conversation. Thank you, AJ. And go make it a fantastic day. Take care. You too.